Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwald. And I am Eliana Johnson, back behind the mic. Heck yeah, you are. Welcome back to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and, in fact, what is going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, welcome back. Thank you. I love that we got a couple notes that were like, I hope she's okay, which is so nice. But yes, I we, was just we, we off at a conference. We didn't we didn't share any of the ones that said keep her. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> there were none please, of those notes. Please get a there permanent were none of those replacement. But I waited. Uh, I waited to share this from last week because I knew that I needed to talk to you about this, which is this phrase. Welcome in. Have you heard welcome in? No. I feel go, like I've heard it from you, maybe. Go to a store, go to a restaurant, and these people, with their fake smiles, they say, welcome in. Welcome in. And I first heard it from... They haven't been saying that to me, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I first heard it from the maitre d' at a, at a fancy restaurant a while ago, and I thought... That's a weird thing to say because the in is implied. I'm already in. Redundant. Yeah, welcome is enough. Welcome in. And then I started listening for it, and it was an availability cascade. There was welcome in was everywhere. And these people were saying welcome in. And it's making me, frankly, insane. I cannot take it. It's so... I don't know where it came from, and I don't know where it's going. Yeah, I think the next person who says that, you should inquire as to where this came from and it sounds like something back to us. It sounds like something that the like training team at yeah. at the Four Seasons hotels <laughs> are like, we don't say welcome, we say welcome in. And I don't know if it's like a post COVID thing that they're trying to emphasize the in, like we're here in person. I don't know, but I hate it. And I'm I, I pro I'm gonna start I say I'm gonna start, but I should start just saying, it's welcome's good enough. Thanks very much. I don't anticipate having anybody say this to me in the next week. Oh, so I, gosh. so the, so y- you know, do the work. They also like to say, do the work. Do the so work. do the work for us and report back. I will report back. And, Please do. And, and out there, you can email us at where do they email us? Wretches at nebulouspodcasts dot com. That's podcasts with an S. Wretches so, at nebulouspodcasts. So I'm asking you if you if you're familiar with this welcome in nonsense. Please oh, we're going to get a lot of emails about this. Please report back about Welcome In. Chris, we have such a stacked front page. I know that you and the wonderful, beautiful, lovely, brilliant Christine Rosen did an episode last week, but we I still feel epic, like... We did a, a Titanic episode last week, yeah, and the I news keeps like coming. We have, you know, three weeks to catch up on. The news about the news is rolling yes. like thunder. So up first on our prompt page, we have the New York Times strike, which the New York Times put out a paper today without their U.S.-based reporting staff. Apparently, the international staff is not part of, most of the international staff is not part of the union. So are these the international staff that works here and abroad, or just the international staff working abroad? I think it's the international staff working abroad, but as a as a non-guild member, I don't, I'm not, privy to the finer details here. However, 
they are imploring readers not to click on the website or give the Times business today. So if there ever was a better reason to go and click all over the New York Times website and read their articles, we implore you to do that today. But I I started reading, and we actually have talked about this on the site because these negotiations have been going on for the past year and a half. Okay, what Um, do they want? Okay, well, the first thing that I found amusing was that the Times leadership complained, and I think totally rightly, that the Guild would only conduct negotiations on Zoom with any guild member who wanted watching. So there was no privacy and oh, the boy. times uh, leadership complained that it became a performative thing, which you can totally see how this would be unproductive. And I, but I found that very amusing. So they are demanding the following. The times has offered union members, oh, sorry, they wanted pay increases and bonuses and they turned down the following offer as insufficient. The times has offered union members a 5.5% raise upon ratification of the contract, 3% raises in 2023 and 24 and a 4% retroactive bonus to compensate for a there lack of raises since the contract expired. The union has proposed a 10% raise upon ratification, Whoa. 5.5% raises in 2023 and 24 and an 8.5% retroactive bonus. Other issues discussed during talks include return to work policies. Of course, they want to work from home. And this we talked about, the company's performance rating system for employees. So the union conducted a study and they said that the system discriminated against minority employees and women. And so let me just quote from the study. White guild members were more likely to get the top ratings while black and Hispanic members were more likely to get the lowest two ratings. Well, you know that New York Times editorial leadership yeah, hotbed is, of is racism. a bastion yes. of bigotry. It is just scalding, a scalding cauldron. Is it the Klan or is it the New York Times editorial page? I don't know. Hard to tell. So, you know, I also would love a 10% raise and 5.5% raises going about, forward and an 8% retroactive bonus. I was going to say an 8.5% awesome. retroactive So they're bonus. really getting tw- like basically a 20% raise plus yeah. a 10% raise, 11% raise over the next year. All in all, that's that's a lot. Well, this is... Anyhow, you can see why they might be at an impasse, also conducting negotiations over this basically in public. This is the logical conclusion to what happened over the past two or three years in the Washington Post and New York Times newsrooms, where you get to the end of the inmates running the asylum. Uh, Finally, the leadership says, look, we can't live like that. We can't go on like this anymore. And this is the inevitable conflict. And the good news, though, is that it comes down, except for the stuff about the the soft bigotry of high expectations, The it comes down to money. They want some cash. And we'll see if the New York Times can buy, buy their way out of this. Well, you know what I think is so interesting is that elsewhere in the media industry, and we're going to talk about it, CNN is shedding people. They are having mass layoffs. The Washington Post just shut down their magazine. If I were Times leadership, I would be happy to tell these people, like, you can accept our terms or you guys can take a walk because I don't think the other places are hiring. Right. In fact, they are laying people off. These are lean times in this industry. A raise is pretty good. I I was having a conversation with a fellow journalist, and I was talking about how cool it is because at News Nation, they're expanding and spending, and at the Dispatch, it's hiring and expanding and spending, and I'm talking about these things. And he said, 
just a word to the wise. This is not a conversation I think you should be having with most of the people who work in our industry because that's not the experience that most people in the news business are having right now. The experience most people in the news business are having is firings, no raises, and and temporary layoffs. Like it's it's this has been a pretty grim quarter, a pretty grim way to end the year for a lot of these folks. Yeah. All right. Up next. On the front page, we have this Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, which was pulled out. The idea was to attach it to the National Defense Authorization Act, which is kind of weird, but it's it's done. I was just asking you, like, are you familiar with the ins and outs of this to talk us through it? It became a big deal for small publishers. The Beacon was lobbied on. Where do you guys stand on this? Will you join it? But lots of small publishers, and, and I'm, I don't mean, so local news outlets, yes, because local news is struggling, but also places like The Beacon, Vox, any it, th- this bill would have applied to any publisher with fewer than 1500 employees so educate us so this um, is it's off the table for now but educate us this bill has been alive in many different iterations amy klobuchar has been its great advocate over time and the part that you're talking about is i won't say unobjectionable i do, i don't have any objections to this part which is antitrust law forbids people from working together to create a more powerful negotiating block, right? So you know how when they talk about Medicare and Medicaid and they say collective, we're going to fight the drug companies because we're going to increase our leverage. Well, the government can do that, but private companies can't because of antitrust law. So what the, the good part of this, this is my opinion, the good part of this idea is that you would let publishers band together to collectively bargain with Google and Facebook and Twitter about what kind of money they're going to get for their content. And it's true, of course, that publishers blew it 10 years ago, 15 years ago in their negotiations and how they dealt with this and didn't see the threats and all of that jazz. So the this that part of it I have no complaint with. But that's not what this bill has turned into and, and what it is. So the here's the Wall Street Journal meta platforms incorporated is threatening to remove news from Facebook in the U.S. If Congress passes legislation meant to help publishers, I wonder which side they're on, team up to negotiate future payments to tech companies, blah, 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 blah. That's how the, the Murdoch's Wall Street Journal is styling this, that why don't they want these publishers to be able to team up? But the what Facebook responds, if Congress passes an ill-considered journalism bill as part of national security legislation, we will be forced to consider removing news from our platforms altogether rather than submit to government-mandated negotiations that unfairly disregard any value we provide to news outlets through increased traffic and subscriptions. This is, the, this is where it gets to crazy town. The Journalism Competition and Pre- Preservation Act now includes final forced arbitration for these companies with these groups. That's, why would, how is that a thing, right? And that the government becomes the authority on this. This is, as one guy called it, price regulation by any other name. So this is creating a federal structure in which this stuff takes place. And that's crazy and that's wrong. But the other thing that this legislation would do would be essentially force outlets to carry news and not be able to mo- uh, to moderate their own sites, right? They would not be able to have control ultimately over the content that they post and where they post it, which brings up First Amendment issues and which brings up private property issues. 
And this, in, in, in real life, well, let me ask you a question. By the third time a reporter pitches you a story, are you more or less likely to do that story? That's going to be a no. That's a no. That's going to be a no from me, That's dog. That's going to be a no. Right. The third, you're like, why do you keep bringing this in here and doing it? It's like, well, this time we have a slightly you're different. You're not hearing me. Right. You're not yeah. hearing me. When I said this is terrible, I meant go away. But Congress works differently, which is a piece of legislation. Oh, and by the way, anybody who has any questions about this, go to Klon Kitchen, my AEI and dispatch colleague Klon Kitchen's Twitter feed. He's got a great explanation about what this would do for Russian misinformation. Like, it's... It's good. The, the, the clown man has got it. But in Congress, when legislation keeps coming back, right, it keeps coming back, eventually people are like, well, I don't know. It's been around forever. I guess we ought to just pass them. They didn't pay us to just come here and not pass nothing. And somebody, I forget who it was, that said about this bill, well, you know, that's our job. You know, we've talked about this for so long. How could we end up not passing anything? It's like, guys, if you've had to talk about it All this right. long, maybe you don't, you shouldn't pass Can it. Can I play devil's advocate here? Advocate. I, I am totally with you on, I, I do not think that the big tech, co- tech companies should be forced to host like any of the content. I think they're already like reaping the whirlwind of their decisions. Yeah. To, Facebook's laying off it, thousands of people. And, yeah. and they're also, it's like they're, they're getting their comeuppance yeah. for their for their political biases and for acting on those in terms of like the content, their content moderation policies. I tend to think that will resolve itself in one way or yes. the other, wh- whether it's the rise of alternative platforms or internal reform. Maybe, there. maybe someone However, will buy Twitter. Do, do you support some kind of deal that would allow smaller publishers to negotiate compensation 100%. with these guys for their intellectual property? So if what you do is say, we are creating a carve-out in antitrust law, because that's the reason that they can't do it now, because they could do that already except for one thing. They would be in violation of antitrust law that forbids them to collude with one another to go and negotiate. And if they showed up to Facebook and said, hey, Meta, the 20, the 50 of us have agreed this is what we want in compensation, Meta would say, this is an antitrust violation. You're ganging up. And Lena Khan at the FTC would be obliged to say, yeah, that's true. That's what the law says. So I absolutely would support changing antitrust law so that these folks can, of course, one of the things that people forget Media antitrust law is already warren of ridiculous stuff, uh, two centuries of carve-outs and special rules. Remember the old stuff, like you can't own a radio station if you have a newspaper in the mm-hmm. same time. All of that stuff is junk, right? I'm certainly in favor of creating a carve-out in antitrust law for them to do it. But if the, next log- if the next step after that is, and there will be forced arbitration, and the government will intervene, and da-da-da, that the inf- if the enforcement mechanism runs that way— that bring oh by the way you know what another part of this legislation I don't know what's in the in this whether it's what version of it is in this version that was very confusing subsidies for local news that cash pay, this is bringing the government into the news business keep the government out of the news business is what I would say a free press has to be free of government support we the the constitute the First Amendment says that the government will not establish religion, right? That's the the important part is that it's not establishing it. It doesn't say what you're going to do in your religion. It says the government's not going to establish any religion for the country. That's a good principle for a free press too, right? 
We're not going to establish a press. We're not going to say what the press is and what the press isn't. And we are at such a young phase of the digital landscape still, right? And as Musk's experience at Twitter reveal, as Facebook's layoffs reveal, as the troubles in the market reveal, this is not a mature marketplace, and we have to let it run for a while. All right. Up next, Chris. The New York Times reports. Oh, yeah. The headline is, defamation suit against Fox grows more contentious. And the new detail we get is that Lachlan Murdoch was deposed on Monday. We're recording Thursday. In this Dominion voting machine defamation suit against Fox, and he is the highest level Fox official to testify thus far. And I'm going to read from the article Dominion, in its quest to obtain the private communications of as many low, mid, and high level Fox personnel as possible, hopes to prove the people inside the network knew they were disseminating lies. Fox hopes to be able to sow doubt about that by showing how its hosts pressed Trump allies for evidence they never produced and that Dominion machines were vulnerable to hacking, even if no hacking took place. We are just updating listeners on where things stand with that, and we will keep you guys posted as this thing winds its way through the courts. But the latest is the Lachlan Murdoch testimony. Yep. And April, I think, April or May is the trial date that's set for this. And I have been called, I have, as has been reported, I have, I have been called uh, in this case, and I will just say this, when you have corporate management at different tiers, different people, you have different sets of interests. And I, I noted the quote, this is a Jeremy Peters article, and the quote that Dan K. Webb, the trial lawyer who's representing Fox in the dispute, yeah. here was his quote, this does not happen, this does not appear to be a case that's going to settle, dash, but anything can happen, but anything can happen. There are some very fundamental First Amendment issues here, and those haven't changed. And I would just say, in, it is not in Dan K. Webb's interest for the case to settle, obviously, right? Good lawyers give their clients good advice, uh, even when it's not in the lawyer's uh, narrow interest because they want to have a long-term relationship. But in this case, I would say uh, it's hard for me to see how – I don't know. You can't settle a lawsuit that the other side doesn't want to settle unless you give them everything that they've asked for. And I don't know how much Dominion's negotiation – I don't know anything about the negotiations – but I will say the spectacle of this trial would be quite it. It would that be, is must see TV. It would be quite a thing. And as they think about the value of their property, and they think about a a trial like this, wow, that is must see TV. Wowza, Chris, you guys recorded last week. Oh yeah, it CNN had said they were going to lay people off, and they were going to do it. They were going to announce who was laid off last Thursday. However, I don't think you guys knew. Who exactly was laid off? We didn't know anything. Um, okay. So it turns out they laid off a lot of people, including the fixes, Chris Saliza, who's a very well-known political pundit. And they also laid off, like, most of their paid contributors. They, 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 they definitely did that. But to me, the big one was Headline News. Uh, so they had, um, what was the name of the morning show on Headline News? The Robin Mead was the host. The Robin Mead. And so Headline News, which And had, this morning, actually, I clicked on it, and it, it's the CNN morning yeah, show. Yeah, they're just simulcasting. Yeah. Their, I will say, I kind of like the morning show. I'm for it. Yeah, it's it's good. It's, it, they, they, I'm liking it. As as I predicted, Don Lemon is much better in a, in a cappuccino foam space than a hard liquor primetime PM space. But anyway, they, the headline news operation, do you remember headline news? 
when it I was only remember news. it basically from the O.J. Simpson trial days. Was that right or was that Core TV? That was, well, that was Greta Van Susteren and I was Headline News Greta Van Susteren or was she? Well, Core no, TV? she. That's where her. That's her launch came as an OJ commentator. I know, but was she Core TV or Headline News? Headline News. She was CNN, a CNN property. Oh, hold on. I want to just look. Greta Van Susteren. But when I was in, in the late 80s, early 90s, Headline News just did the same stuff and then refreshed it every 30 minutes. They did the same newscast. So it was basically any time, day or night, you turn on Headline News, it's going to be a 30-minute rundown of the news. Then they re-rack it at the bottom of the hour, do it again do it again, do it again. And eventually that they stopped. The internet made that sort of pointless. And then they became Nancy Grace, missing white girls, crime TV kind of stuff and, and all that jazz. And now, I mean, the question, I guess I'll put it this way. What is a position on a cable provider's package worth, right? How much advertising revenue can you, can you generate off of that? I I think what headline news had become was probably not worth what they were getting out of it anymore, and I can certainly see that. I can certainly see the need to consolidate out of it. Like Christine and I talked about I, when I last week, I put it this way: New York, Washington, and Atlanta is too, is too many, probably by two headquarters to have, right? And CNN had a big presence in all of those places. And it's not Ted Turner's company anymore, and it's not an Atlanta-based company anymore. So that part of it makes sense to me. I Who all got sacked on the contributor front? Susan Glasser, who's been there forever. Paul Begala. Lots of people who, Jonathan Martin, the Politico, former New York Times, now Politico. Chris is making funny faces. Anyhow, lots of, like, old-timer people who have been on-air contributors for a while. And I will say, like, these kinds of gigs, which are basically side hustles for reporters who Easy. have full-time Easy. jobs. Easy. Right. They proliferate. <laughs> they put They proliferated during the Trump administration. I had one at CNN, but they were hiring everyone. And so it does seem CNN. to me... It does seem to me like like I want you. You were on the ten o'clock show, the morning show, a lot. You I was were on good. noon all the time. You were John good, King. but anyhow. So they 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 I, look. I uh, here's be... but here's the interesting thing I'm hearing. Hit me, and then I'll turn it over to you. I am hearing that yes, yes, we were being told that the contributors are gone, and the I am hearing that the news gathering is also being kind of effect that it feel the times feel very lean in the news gathering parts which which contradicts the message that the president chris licht has said that we are doing this to husband our resources and focus them on what we do best which is news gathering and news presentation and that's not quite what i'm hearing i'm feeling like there aren't enough beat reporters here, there, and the other. So that's interesting, and we'll see and, how that and And definitely progresses. something to watch to yeah. see whether he can, you know, as you've said from the beginning, you've t- you've taken the right approach with Chris Licht and, and how this is going, which is we'll see what happens, right? Are you really going to do it? And so far, I would say he has met your standard, right? Uh, well, I mean, my one stelter, big question. He can, like, the, the, fire, the firings have continued to pace. Who are you at? Who's, who's he going to add? How right. is this going to become? I don't think you can do changes without bringing in new blood. I'm, I'm sure their mistakes have been made so far, but so far it seems okay. And, like, more. I would say okay is the right word. Yeah. And, we'll, you know, we'll see how the news gathering side goes. But so far. You know, he's he at least they are at least making good on the stuff that they said, and it yes. wasn't like, 
well, we're going to be more news facing and we're going to be less opinionated. They're doing that, right? And the people that they got rid of so far meet that standard. And can I say that I feel bad for Chris Saliza. I feel bad for Chris Saliza. Chris Saliza, as people on this podcast have heard me say, was a preposterous, preposterous person in his commentary and his thirsty hot takes and his just, I, I believe I shared on this, his, uh, in the bad takes ahead of the election, maybe that was in my Starwaltisms note, but in the collection of bad takes before the uh, midterm election was Chris Saliza headline, why the midterm elections are going to be awesome for Donald Trump. So his he he was a pioneer first at the Washington Post and then at CNN of hot takes that are clickbaity, and I have watched the dunking on this person who just got fired, and it is funny, but it's also sad, right? It's also sad, and I would just say, you know, the guy got fired. It's oh, like it happened, and don't celebrate his don't celebrate publicly the firing of another person and hopefully this will be a learning growing experience for him that he'll get better coming out of this and stop being a clickbait thirst trap and it'll and that it will be different but don't you know it's 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 nothing to feel good about up next in the we have our outrage of the week oh yes section we are turning our attention to the Washington Post. <laughs> and well, this is your under, favorite our, specifically. under our never tweet yeah. banner. Taylor Lorenz is back keyboard warrioring instead of doing her actual job. She takes to Twitter to talk about the lockdowns in. So Taylor Lorenz still works at the Washington she Post. She works at the Washington Post. Why is her Twitter handle subscribed to my Substack in all caps? I think she might, she also has a Substack. Well, what's the Washington Post paying her for then? Why she got a Substack? Uh, people do. That's gross. Why? Because they're paying her to be a I reporter. I know, but they're but they're not gonna. What if you just have? What if you have ten article ideas they don't want to do? Do a better job. I would certainly say in Taylor Lorenz's case, she could go ahead and do a better job on the one. Yeah, she's well, doing. I agree with that. <laughs> or if you're writing about something that's totally unrelated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, go. I I, inter- I okay, just so needed to make sure I knew who we were talking about. She's a columnist at the yes. Washington Post. Anyhow. She responds, she? she is about my age. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, accounts differ. Free Beacon has had great fun with this. She responds to a Chinese propagandist defending the lockdowns where, you know, China still has this zero COVID policy and they are locking people in their houses and apartment buildings and people literally burned to death because they were trapped in their apartments. And this guy apparently is saying the description is that in a Ted style, a, a Ted style talk justified zero COVID policy by saying that in 10 years, the West will be brought to its knees because of long COVID which will decimate most of its labor force. And Taylor Lorenz says what? She she replies, TBH, he's right. Millions of people in the Western world are becoming permanently disabled slash chronically ill with an incurable condition that destroys your ability to live a normal life. And our leaders and majority of the media are simply ignoring it simply and ignoring mis- it. misleading people about simply the risk. It. So I, I you never know what? hear about like, COVID. To be honest, China has actually nailed this COVID thing. Right. They, they've nailed this. Good job. Keep up the good work, Xi Jinping. It is. And then she had another tweet that said there's her follow up tweet to this was there's no lasting natural immunity to COVID. You can get COVID over and over and over again because there are so many endlessly evolving strains and antibodies wane. 
Also, choosing not to kill off millions of vulnerable people as the U.S. is doing isn't a critical flaw. Right, and she's attacking a Washington Post tweet. That's a defense of— It's um, a quote tweet. This is her uh, in a quote tweet of the Washington Post account, official account. A coronavirus outbreak on the verge of being China's biggest of the pandemic has exposed a critical flaw in Beijing's zero-COVID strategy, a vast population without natural immunity. So she is on Twitter, and don't I recall, Eliana Johnson— a new policy at the Washington Post where they told people not to air their grievances in public and attack their colleagues. Would that would or, that be would that paper? include attacking the paper uh, itself? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and what is so amazing is she is a hysterical. She is hysterical about misinformation, and yeah. this is misinformation. Like, sure, you can get COVID over and over and over again. But you do actually develop immunity to it. It yeah. becomes less severe. And the way she characterizes U.S. policy as killing off millions of That's vulnerable people. Joe Biden had uh, a meeting yeah. and he was like, let's kill off as many people as we can. I don't think Joe Biden's for killing off old people. I just um, I get the sense that that's not his his mode. I well, mean, it is incredible that these are the people writing and shaping the news. Ev- every day, in. there's somebody at the New York Times who works at the New York Times who wakes up and is yeah. so happy thinking about how they somehow got the Washington Post to hire Taylor Lorenz. That's just like, has to be every day. It's like, well, we got a strike you know going what? on. I we got all these trouble. I support a 10% raise in retroactive 8.5% bonus for, for that whoever person. architected yeah. that Yeah, whatever yeah, that, that play transition. was like. Who, 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 who said, boy, I hope no one steals hot property Taylor Lorenz away from us because she's got her finger on the pulse of TikTok. Okay, Chris, I think we need to talk Michael Avenatti before we get to... Both of our what before we, we come back to the Washington, yeah. Before we come back to the Washington, truly Post, great. I'm gonna I'm gonna rearrange a few things here. Michael Avenatti sentenced to prison. I just want to read former media darling sentenced to 14 years behind bars, and I just want to read from the Justice Department's press release. Suspended plaintiff's lawyer Michael John Avenatti was sentenced today to 168 months in federal prison for stealing millions of dollars from his clients, one of whom was a paraplegic with mental health issues, and for obstructing the IRS's efforts to collect more than $3 million in payroll taxes from an Avenatti-owned coffee business. What kind of coffee business? That's a lot of scratch. Let's just do a, a quick throwback to the media treatment of Michael Avenatti. Absolutely. And this is a Washington Free Beacon video that we put together. Let's hit it. He's Donald Trump's worst nightmare. Michael Avenatti. Joining us once again is Michael Avenatti. Let's bring in Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti, thank you very much. He's out there saving <laughs> the country. Scott Meacham says he may be the savior of the Republic. You are something of a folk hero now. I uh, am just dying to hear what you think. These people all like you. I'm the only person right here. Donald Trump fears more than Robert Miller. We think you guys are the tip of the spear that's going to take down Donald Trump. Michael Avenatti is a beast. Okay, that's true. And he, he's a beast. He's a beast. I hand it to her, and I hand it to Michael Avenatti. But he has a great, bigger calling here. That being a lawyer is minimal compared to what he's doing. Donald Trump is terrified of Michael Avenatti. Now, this Trump will run for his money more than anybody else, Michael Avenatti. is existential threat to the Trump presidency. The Democrats could learn something for you. You are messing with Trump a lot more than they are. He has no doubt created sheer panic in Donald Trump's very fragile mind. Michael Avenatti is laying down the law as guest co-host. 
really thinking about running for president? One reason why I'm taking you seriously as a contender is because of your presence on cable news. You look at the field of Democrats right now, and Avenatti's the one who stands out. If they decide they value a fighter most, People would be foolish to underestimate Michael Avenatti. I have always said that they need a fighter. Look, I mean, we're going to continue to use the media. I think we've used it with great success. Right. So, you know, beware the media darling of the moment. And and also, no one could have looked at Michael Avenatti and said, like, this guy just seems like he's legit. Seems like he's straightforward. This is also the Michael Cohen effect. Remember Trump's uh, fixer guy, Michael Cohen, where they're like, Michael Cohen seems like a sleazy lawyer who would represent Donald Trump. Oh, wait, he's against Donald Trump? Everything that he says is good and true. Right. He's saying the it as he's, my right. my he's, saying it as he's yeah. trying to get out of a federal prosecution and is motivated. Seems legit. Let's just hear him out. Let's just hear, let's hear this guy out. And then in, in the case of Avenatti, since he knew he was a, the one thing that I think they were right about with Avenatti, he was a Trump-like figure, right? He knew how to play the media. He knew what they wanted. And they, what do we love better than like getting- it's so challenging. What do we, what, and I was going to say, what do we love better than getting played? What does the media love yeah. better than when people flatter us with lies and we're like, gosh, you are right. We are very powerful and insightful. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Okay. Now we're coming back to the Washington mm-hmm, Post. Mm-hmm. Hat tip to Nate Moore, who first alerted us to this, this piece of excellence. To, to listener Janae Irvin, who flagged this for us. Thanks, Janae. Washington Post wrote this astonishing piece that- I think they they must have ripped from the onion and not attributed. Calling out of the blue. Oh, oh this oh, one. Oh, 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 no, 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 oh no, no, sorry. No. I, I clicked two. the wrong link. The Washington okay. Post has two um, magical right, nuggets. So the first one, Shark Week lacks diversity <laughs> and overrepresents men named Mike, scientists say. And we have to read from this article that actually does sound like it's from The Onion. And if we could get a little bit of Jaws music to play behind this as we begin, as we do our dramatic reading of Problematic Shark okay. Week. White Knack led a team of researchers to examine hundreds of Shark Week episodes that aired between 1988 and 2020. In a study published last month by the Public Library of Science, their research claims that Discovery's programming emphasized negative messages about sharks, lacked useful messaging about shark conservation, and overwhelmingly featured white men as experts, including several with the same name. That programming featured more white experts and commentators named Mike than women, said David Schiffman, a conservationist at Arizona State University who was a co-author of the study. When there are hundreds of people of color interested who work in this field, and when my field is more than half women, maybe it's not an accident anymore that they're only featuring white men, Schiffman said. Maybe it's not an accident. Maybe the executives at Discovery in the late 19, starting in the late 1980s said, my name's Mike, and I only want white dudes named Mike to talk about sharks. This is, I, I, I honestly thought when I saw the headline, that it would be spoofy or be having fun with itself, that it would be like... The Onion? But not even The Onion, just that it would that it would be self-aware enough to know how it preposterous this so is. so amazing. Read the whole thing. Read the whole thing. Just We're linking to, it in our newsletter, too. Sign up for our newsletter. Obviously, you're subscribed for the newsletter if you, if you love it. But the it's just... The, the lack of self-awareness here is magnificent. And also, we determined that problematic sharks 
was the name of Colin Chicola's college band that was a fish cover band, as we as we all know. And I also wanted to point out the most zenial. What about problematic men named Mike? Yeah, exactly. Problematic Mikes. Problematic Mikes, to say nothing of the sharks. And then I also wanted to call attention to in our dump in our du- dumping on the Washington Post. I'm sorry, Washington Post. I do some weeks I'm better than others, and then other weeks I just fall back on my. I just fall back into my old bad habits. Calling out of the blue, why would you do this to someone you love? In the age of texting and DMs, a ringing phone can sound like nothing but bad news. So again, I look at this and I'm like, this is going to not take this too seriously. And it will gently mock youngsters who are averse to the phone. You've had the experience, I'm sure, Eliana Johnson, where you tell someone to call, you tell one of your reporters to call someone and they're like, on the phone? to oh, yeah. dial oh, yeah. with their voice, and then I'll have to oh, talk yeah. to them. And let me tell you, they did not do the story that I was expecting them to do here. Instead, it is a story about the insensitivity of calling people without warning them in case they have emotional issues related to the trauma of being stalked or tormented in their lives by people and how, like, what a thoughtless person would just call someone out of the blue. And it is, lighten up is all I can say, Washington Post. There are people who have trouble with all kinds of stuff. There are people who were mauled by bears, right? I don't know how many people in America have been mauled by bears. Would you do a story that's like, oh, you share your videos of, of cute bears. You're You're so insensitive to these people. This is really... I mean, come on, Ellen McCarthy. It's not. It's it's not serious. You're you're. This is unserious work. Chris, that brings us. I mean, this has all been our style section, really. But we really? have one special item that really is on our page A thirty two, which is fun. And I and and New York Times Style Take Magazine. New York Times Style Magazine did something weird and ambitious uh, that I thought was. First, I was like, it's so elite, it's so twee, it's so, so t- it's so in love with itself. And it's called All Together Now, it's 9 p.m., a trip around the world. And they spent the dough to send reporters to, so they had reporters in a trip, at 9 p.m., a trip around the world. Lagos, Nigeria, Tokyo, I don't know where Morelos is, Los Angeles, London, Paris, New York City. Uh, and they went all around the world uh, in Gapyong, New Orleans. You got to be in. I was in New Orleans this week. Oh, really? Oh, I had breakfast at Brennan's, and I want to tell you, nothing is better. There's no better breakfast in America than Brennan's New Orleans. What do you breakfast. have there? Well, first I had something I'd never had before, which is an oysters. They, you know, you're in New Orleans when they when they have a dessert and appetizer menu for breakfast. And they have a dish, and I wish I, I think it was. I don't want an oyster in the morning. It was called uh, Oyster Jeté, maybe. I don't know. But it was like Oysters Rockefeller, but with a tomato-y great. It was, and a cornbread crumble was beyond everything. And then I had the Eggs Hissard. Have you ever had the Eggs Hissard? No. So it is like Eggs Benedict, but it has a second sauce. It has a Creole tomato-y kind of sauce poured over the ham, and then the egg, and then the hollandaise. And I want to also say that Brennan's fried potatoes, do you like a fried breakfast potato? Not really. Well, these you will like because they are the 
best French fry Only, level. It has to be like so crispy. So this is what it is. And I picture, feel like they're always just like mushy. Picture and... a one quarter inch by one quarter inch cube of perfect Yukon potato fried like the crispiest steak frites fries okay. in the world. I'm liking it. It's like they somebody in the back cut each one and fried it individually to be perfect. So that is that is your food update for this week. But I, this was a cool thing, and I was really skeptical about, that they could make it not seem totally awful, and it was really interesting and cool. So New York Times Style Magazine, nice. Chris, that brings us to our obsessions oh, yeah. of the week. Well, we break down the stories that we can't get out of our heads. Chris, as always, I will go first. Mm. Semaphore, the new upstart news outlet, had a reporter, their climate and environment reporter, Bill Spindle, quit. And he tweeted the following. My final story after a short but productive run as climate editor at Semaphore, one marred, sadly, by an over-dependence on Chevron sponsorship. But that's for a future post. For now, keep up with my climate and energy insights and musings at back at the energy something he links to his Substack. Okay, so he so what says, did he do? What do you mean? So he quit because his posts on the environment were appeared next to advertising from Chevron. So wait, he what? Sa- yes. So he says he quit Semaphore because Semaphore takes ads from Chevron. Yes. So he says, what concerned me was my belief that it was not appropriate to have Chevron advertising on the same page as stories on climate coverage, particularly oh, it's okay as, if they're on other pages. as the dominant advertiser. They can pay his salary. Um, he just doesn't so want it next to his articles. I found this so, oh, so funny Bill because, Spindle. first of all, Semaphore, like, these guys took funding from Sam Bankman-Fried, okay? Jeez. They are funded by, like, a big crook to get them off the ground. They have been public about it, but I don't think that actually makes it any better. You know, he quit and so, over this. Anyways, this when you is, told me about this, I thought they had fired like, him no, no, no. for taking so money he, from Chevron, and I was says, like, "Well, maybe I don't know." Let's hear. He says, <laughs> "Hear him out." I quit over the model of the news business, which is take advertising from anybody and everybody. That is hilarious, and put it anywhere that we want it. I mean, this but is I, how I the love, news business I love business that his works. complaint is that they were. Putting it next to his articles. Yeah. It'd be okay if they were taking money, but they were putting it next to somebody else's articles. And that's if that's okay. But was it that people were being triggered by seeing a Chevron ad? Or maybe it made him feel whorish. Maybe that was the problem, is that he didn't want to have to think about it. Dude, that is... Wow. Uh, I, I enjoyed that. And, and by the way, it was like, his final um, article. There's his, something like charmingly naive about his final thing. article and, and is idealistic. Headlined. Final article is headlined. This is the work that's too important. This is too important to be next to Chevron. Yeah. Headline artists step up battle against climate change. <laughs> oh, sweet, fancy Moses. I. Every just when I think I've seen it all, yep. you bring me Bill Spindle. All right, what do you got, Chris? Oh, the right to earn a living. So I saw the story. So James in in the Twitter files that Elon Musk gave to two reporters who have been you know. And by the way, in the Twitter files, it revealed just what we knew was true. 
is that the people at Twitter hated Donald Trump. Like it, it, it bears out all that we thought that was true. But here's a headline at foxnews.com. James Woods fires back at Twitter, vows to sue over censorship on Tucker Carlson tonight. So he's he's so voiceless, he can only go on the top-rated cable television yeah. show in America. That's that's how silenced James Wood is James Woods is. Woods says his Hollywood career was ruined by censorship following his speaking out on Hunter Biden's laptop. Now, what did James Woods do to speak out? Do you know what he did? My understanding is that James Woods posted pictures of Hunter Biden's wang that put the genitals of Hunter Biden on the internet and that when the DNC and the and the Biden campaign said, "Hey, could you take the pictures down of the Democratic nominee's son's schmeckle from the internet?" that they did. So James Woods Twitter account was targeted says foxnews.com by Twitter at the request of Democratic National Committee according to findings blah, blah, blah. Musk shared bombshell revelations, blah, blah, blah. So again, it's re- it would be revenge porn. It would be illegal to put somebody's the picture of somebody's genitals on the internet that they did not want <laughs> on the internet. So all of the, they, they lay this in a highly, in a, in a dubious fashion, <laughs> quite so, out there. And the employee listed a link to Twitter shared by user to link to Twitter posted to WID's official account. Screen On the screenshot, I think this is the, I apologize if this is not the Wang photo, but I believe this was the Wang photo. I grabbed the first one, defer to safety, high profile second one, and they, they recount all this. Then James Wood says, I can guarantee you one thing more than anything else you'll ever hear in your life. I will be getting a lawyer. I will be suing the Democratic National Committee no matter what. Hey, James Woods, you do not, you were not a popular actor the day before. The day before you put Hunter Biden's wang on the internet, it wasn't like Hollywood was beating a path to your door like, oh, we got to get James, where's Jimmy Woods? We got him in this picture. That may have been when you got Me too you getting me too'd may have been part of this, right? That may have hurt your career a little bit. Also, the fact that you are old. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons why James Woods may not be getting the parts that Brad Pitt is up for. I don't know why. Who's also old. Who's also old, but uh, differently situated. Diff- di- yeah, d- uh, differently situated. And I was, I thought, you know what? Who cares about James Woods? Much of his, I, I love many of his films, but who and also love his inclusion in the TV show Family Guy, James Woods as a Rhode Islander. Okay, fine. And then I saw this piece in The Spectator. Kirstie Alley, the woman left out in the cold. Now, I will say this as a person who had a profound and lasting crush on Kirstie Alley. She was, I was... Totally never knew this about you. Totally. 11, 12-year-old Chris Starwalt was. Never She was my first, you. and it was a, a, a sincere tingles vis-a-vis Kirstie Alley and thought that she was great. So here's this piece in The Spectator by Alexander Larman. And Alexander Larman says, here's the lead. Towards the end of her life, the Cheers and Look Who's Talking star, Kirstie Alley, who has died of cancer at 71, did something that made her a pariah among her Hollywood associates. She tweeted support for Donald Trump. On October 17th, 2020, Allie wrote, I'm voting for at real Donald Trump because he's not a politician. I voted for him four years ago for this reason and shall vote for him again for this reason. He gets things done quickly and he will turn the economy around quickly. 
There you have it, folks. There you have it. And Larman goes on to speculate that the reason, oh, and by the way, can I offer a second complaint about things? And if anybody of my employers at the dispatch listens to this, why are we making it so hard to sign into things? Why I, we, this, I'm obsessed what is, with this. What it's is so the deal? annoying. So I have to give, I, and I pay money to the spectator and think that it the is. Things that I'm subscribed think for. Think it's a it's good product. Impossible. And they're like, how about you send me your email address and then we'll send you an email, but it'll get caught in your spam filter it's and then you'll so resend annoying. it. You're like, I just want to read it. I just want to read it. But anyway. It goes on, and in a very snotty way, Alexander Larman explains why Kirstie Alley would otherwise have had a good career but her political opinions. Kirstie Alley explained that she made actually a whole thing out of the fact that she had gained so much weight and her struggles with it, and she got a whole show out of her struggles with her weight gain. How about the other reason that Kirstie Alley didn't get parts? Hollywood is super sexist, and when women are over 50 – they don't get parts. Like, there's a lot of reasons. The idea that somehow at the end it was her political views, it's not, that's not what's going on. I'm not saying there isn't a bias against conservatives in Hollywood. Rob Long, the great Rob Long, talks about it. It's true. It's real. I'm, I'm not saying it. But Clint Eastwood, still getting it done. He's 100 million years old, and he's still getting it done. He's a conservative. It's just like, stop We'll, we'll st- I'll stay with the theme. The soft bigotry of low expectations in this case is that somehow James Woods and Kirstie Alley, RIP, and all these people deserve the right to make a living. And the only reason that they didn't was because they liked Donald Trump. That's hogwash. Chris, that brings us to my favorite part of the week, which is reader mail. We have a couple of wonderful letters this week. The first is from Mike Lutz of Pittsburgh, New York, who says, for the record, from ninth grade earth science in 1963, you're dating yourself, Mike, <laughs> stalactites grow down, think C for ceiling, stalagmites grow up, think G for ground. And that will actually work for me. Yes. I feel like I won't I forget that I think I anymore. will even remember that. And then we have a second one from Aaron Frank of West Hartford, Connecticut, and Aaron writes, Hello, as usual, another great episode of Ink Stained Wretches. I did miss Eliana. Oh, thank you. Tell me more. (laughs) And I hope all is well with her. All is well. But if anyone is going to sub in, Warrior Queen Christine Rosen is a fantastic choice. Chris was making fun of a white guy for mispronouncing Louis Armstrong's name. Mr. Armstrong himself pronounced it Louis. In fact... In Hello, Dolly, Mr. Armstrong corrects Dolly and says it's Lewis Dolly to Ms. Is it Ms. Levy or Ms. Levy? Ms. Levy? In Hello, I don't know. Dolly. I defer. Okay. I defer. Uh, on Jewish names. On you Jewish defer names, names. Okay. I defer. On a different sartorial topic, can Chris and Eliana suggest a hat to wear? I normally wear a baseball cap on my walks around town or running errands, but I want to step it up a bit when heading into New York or Boston. I need something my wife will approve of. I already have an Akubra fedora my dad gave me years ago, but while I love it, my wife is embarrassed to be seen with me more than normal when I wear it. In her defense, it is the Indiana Jones model. Mm, Okay. One last note. I have tried to sign up for your newsletter several times to no avail. Could someone please add me to the list, or have I been blackballed? Aaron, this is because, and I know because you are Connecticut, your zip code starts with a zero, so please just email us. Oh, we're going to sign you up right now because we have your email address and consider yourself on the list. But if you're 
zip code starts with a zero, there is some kind of glitch. Our anti-New um, England so bias. So please just email us and tell us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. And tell us that you want to be on, and we will get you on. Aaron, you are now on. Chris. The first, yes. I, I like a baseball hat. Well, for, well first. I don't uh, have a better one. Mea culpa. Mea maxima culpa. It is true what he said, and I had forgotten about that. And it was just the white guy sounded so white. And the black guy was saying it the other name, and it was just so funny. And you're right, and I'm sorry. What do you have on hats? Okay, hats are tough. Hats are super duper tough. So there's two ways that guys get it wrong. There's Well, there's a lot of ways that guys get it wrong on hats. But there are two predominant ways that guys get it wrong on hats. So number one is, and I watch this in Washington frequently. Here's a guy in a $5,000 suit and a Chesterfield coat walking down the street with his bald head sticking up out of the top of it like a toadstool on a cold winter day. That needs a hat, and it needs an adult. It does? Yeah, it needs an adult man's hat. Never would have known that. Needs an, if you're wearing this fancy getup, put a hat on, baby. Huh. You're walking around outside, wear a hat. Looks good. And by the way, hats are expensive. Good hats are expensive. Hard to find. I've got one, but I'm actually... Interestingly, in, in, in news that will surprise no one, I have a giant head. I, my, head is, my head is huge. I wear a size 8 hat. And for me, the challenge is greater because a hat that might look good on a normal size head, on mine, I look like an Easter Island god. You put this thing up top. So I, like, I tried on, you know what a, a Hamburg hat is? No. That's the kind of hat that Winston Churchill wore. Okay. And Winston Churchill... Look cool in a Hamburg hat. When I put it on, I look like I am in the third grade play version of Guys and Dolls. It's really bad. So every head is different. Brim width and all that stuff is different. But anyway, so that's the first kind of mistake that guys make with hats is the absence of hats in situations where it would look good and be right. Then the other error is, of course, dumb baseball caps everywhere all the time in every setting, in every restaurant, and sometimes they're on backwards, and I've had it. I've had it with the dumb baseball caps everywhere that I go. And as a as a person who is follically challenged at the top of my head, I understand the desire just to cover your head up and not have to think about it. But the baseball cap game is there you are very right, Aaron Frank. The baseball game cap is the baseball cap game is beat. Fine when you're playing golf, fine when you're playing sports, but to be a, around and alive in the world, it's pretty tough. I think you're not far off with the Indiana Jones hat. I have a great hat that is technically an Australian. It's it's the sort of like, it doesn't pin up on one side, but it's got kind of the curvy brim of the Australian hat. And I wear that's sort of my in-between. Like if I'm just wearing a blazer and a top coat, not like a dressy one. That's the sort of in-between or even just medium casual. So I like, pun quite intended, Aaron Frank, I like where your head's at on this. Just keep looking, find a good hat shop when you are, the next time you're in New York or Boston, don't take your hat, find a good hat shop and try on a bunch of hats and see what looks good because all of our heads are weird in some way. So find what looks good on your weird head. Chris, that brings us to your favorite time of the week. I am forced to say something nice. It is time for favorite items, but you, as always, are going to lead by example. 
This Take it is home for us. Okay, so this is a, this is a column from the. I want to get it right. This is from the Star Tribune of Chatham, Virginia, and I encourage everyone to send in their favorite finds from small town newspapers. Please uh, write us. What's the email address? Wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. I feel like I've said it 40 times today. Keep saying it because we want them. So your small town news items, please. I think Dave Letterman used to have a local news section, small town news section. (sighs) I I welcome it. So here's Gary's Corner from the Star Tribune of Chatham, Virginia. Headline, Soulmate. And it's a big headline on Gary's Corner, which I assume is a weekly column. And I got to zoom in correctly on this. It says, when you find that special person that checks all the boxes for you, that relationship is a solid foundation for a marriage. That commitment is a blood oath to love and cherish the other person with respect, caring, and warmth. Gary, so far, so good and quite right. He said, and Gary, I will point out, and I don't, I'm not trying to be pejorative in any way. Gary is not a young man, right? If you look at the photo, can you, can you see the photo here of Gary? How old would you say Gary is? 65 to 70. I'm going to say 50 to 65, but, okay. but okay. not, he is, this is not a young man's fancy turns to love situation. Okay. This is a special time in one's life to accept the other person and their family, a solid decision to accept this new person into your life. Oh, Gary, it sounds like something's going on, Gary. This is life-changing and needs to meet all of your mental requirements. Okay, we're ready. The journey will be complex with danger in that you must both commit to love and live the hardships that may face you as a couple. Yes, we are a partnership in life to face all challenges head on. We are a defense against outside infusions of comments, uh uh-oh, or negative thoughts. Our life is not complicated, but is built on trust. Our love is the cement. We will always be challenged. Now I'm getting the sense that Gary is writing this to his lady. That Gary's lady, this is that this this was a column written with an audience of one. Our love yeah, is I'm, the I'm here for it. Our love is the cement. We will always be challenged and our heart will keep us in line for our love is beyond compromise. This is now reading like smooth B. Our lives are ours to live and move forward with, with trust and forethought. This bond is something new to me, says Gary. I have associated myself with so many friends, but to isolate myself to one person, I have fishing. All right, all right. I like where we're going. I have fishing and hunting buddies that require my acceptance and time. Other friends and couples that want my time. Now, I don't know what's going on with the couples. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that aside for now. I am confounded with this new commitment of trust and love. How do I answer? How do I answer this new call? I am for the time a little saddened with this new commitment of time. I have to answer for my every moment and people I associate Uh with Uh say this is strange to me. I have never had to account for my every moment. Yep, you, you do. My love cannot be challenged. Not for a moment. The love for my spouse is undying and and has never been put to the test of another person. My love is untested and solid. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is, Gary. Closing line. I must stay the course of love and commitment. This is my new life and marriage my new beginning. Fin. Scene. So there is soulmate from Gary's Corner from the Star Tribune of Chatham, Virginia. 
And Gary, we wish you the best as you try to balance the demands of your hunting and fishing friends, other couples with your soulmate. It's tough out there. My favorite item, Chris, is finally, finally, we get the profile that we have all been waiting for, which is the profile of the accused chess cheater. New York Times, thank you. He's the bad boy of chess, but did he cheat? An American teenager, Hans Niemann, defeated Magnus Carlsen, the world's best chess player. Then Mr. Carlsen accused his opponent of cheating. It's either overdue justice or paranoia. So we are going to link this profile. And, and you deserve credit because. There is because... no twist and turn of this chess cheating story that we will not keep you apprised of. Oh, I was like tip of the spear. Yeah, on, you were the... first on the crypto stuff and on this. You, you were way ahead. When this yeah. was still niche publication stuff, you were, what was the name of the Netflix chess series? You were the Queen's Gambit. You were the one. You were way ahead. I will of this. credit the New Yorker for this because ten years ago or whatever they, I, and I think I mentioned this at the time. They had this wonderful profile of Magnus Carlson that I remember. And so when I saw this, I when I saw the first article about it, I was eager to read the update. But In now, any case, but now, now we have a profile of his Bete Noir. And Hans Niemann, by the way, looks like Sam and Fried Hundo P. Yeah. So all right. That is all of the time we have left for the news about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, I have said our email address (laughs) 75,000 times already. So rewind. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches.